Funding for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Tumblr. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. Email. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And by contributions from listeners like you. Literally at ElwoodCityLimits.Libson.com. Thank you. Cha-ching, cha-ching, baby. Well, okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, we're both eager beavers. We took a week off of one another. We can't wait. We're off to the races already. Man, we're deep into the advent calendars. We're going hard in the paint on Christmas. Ooh, I'm. I of course am doing the advent calendars as well. Got the traditional lint going on. Shout out to Lint Chocolate. Also have the David's TT of the day advent calendar, which is equally as fun. How about yourself, Will? I have a few people who are doing, like, the not-necessarily-chocolate advent calendar this year. Uh, so Jenna has the lint one, and she got for me the Kinder Surprise uh, advent. Do you know what's one I've always wanted to try, but it's a little expensive? What's that? Have you seen the Lego one? Yes, I have. Um, I've seen, like, the Lego Star Wars one that's uh, exclusive to this year. I've always wondered, like, is it a figure every day? Is it a new thing to build? Is it, like, a brick every day? I, you know, I don't know the specifics. I feel like when I was looking at it before, it was enough every day that it seemed worth its while. Uh, but I don't remember if it's like a fig every day. That'd be crazy if it was. They're expensive, as I understand. Well, whether you've got an advent calendar on the go, whether you're celebrating eight crazy nights, or whatever you're doing this holiday season, welcome back to <laughs> Elwood City Limits. <laughs> my name's my name's Will Young. Uh, Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Joining me as always is my co-host, Lucas Mancini. Nighty night, you poopsicle. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't. I, I I've heard it called Eight Crazy Nights, apart from the movie. But uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yes, I, guess I know. I just can't hear it when I'm thinking about like Adam Sandler talking to at, well, Adam Sandler doing an awful old person impersonation. Excuse me, sir. But can you... <laughs> like, I, I I might be a bad person, but like, uh, the character's name is Whitey in that movie. That voice always makes me laugh. Like, even Ugh. though it's utterly terrible it's like i can't help but giggle every time i hear it so i guess that's my own little weakness i hope that you're having a great holiday so far we certainly are and we're it's it's always better when we get to talk about arthur no matter what time of the year it is uh before we get into it though lucas uh well last week we took a little bit of a break from the arthur season three uh, to talk about uh, reading Rainbow, me and Anna did that. You can check out last week's episode. It was a nice, fun one to check out a uh, an episode of Reading Rainbow from, I'm sure, before not just myself, but uh, a fair amount of our audience was born. Uh, how was old uh, What's-His-Face, the blind guy from Star Trek? Uh, LeVar Burton. Believe. Yeah, how was old LeVar? Lavar's great. He's a he's a fantastic host. Like he's he's very fun. He's very game. Uh, yeah, he's just uh, he's a terrific, uh, versatile performer. So I think that he's one of the people that was made for that sort of. So we did get a little bit of feedback about that episode, and we've been sitting on some since uh, wow, November twenty eighth. So that's about two weeks here. So let's not waste any time. These are emails received at 
ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Uh, I have a couple quick ones here uh, from Josh. Uh, Josh first wants to say, what would be better, Prunella leaving the show forever or the show finally addressing the nice things that Sue Ellen said about Arthur in her diary? So if you could have one, which one would you want more? I would have uh, the show addressing the nice things that Sue Ellen said because I think that's more thematically interesting. As much as I dislike Prunella uh, and how she's almost X-Pac heat with me, like she's almost changed the channel heat, I do get a kick out of her sometimes, especially when the writers are self-aware about her, and I think it'd be a lot more interesting to follow up with the Sue Ellen plotline because that's just like, that's basic storytelling. Ross and Rachel, you know how it goes. Yeah. Um, Josh, also in a separate email. Now, <laughs> I got to say, this is something that maybe I didn't realize was going to have the legs that it did. You know, I want I, I want to say at least a third, if not maybe even half of the emails that we've received in this show's lifetime have been about the human animal hierarchy. And uh, we so keep I, going back and forth. That's why the, the theory keeps changing. Uh, so, jo so Josh has his own theory. And uh, I'll, I'll, it boils down to this. It's one of his final lines here. Uh, Josh believes that the characters of Arthur are animals that have learned from the humans and have killed them and now claim uh. their right over the earth. He says, this is far-fetched, but so is the concept of Arthur. So who's to say? You know, with all this human-animal hierarchy stuff, it really gets me thinking about Busy Town. Okay. Like... If the Arthur people, like, at least at Busy Town, like, the worm drives a big apple car, you know what I mean? But the Arthur people have really just repurposed our own technology if they're the ones who have wiped out the humans. I yeah. think there's a similar theory about cars, right? That the, the humans used to exist in the cars universe, but then uh, that Stephen King movie happened, and so all the all the cars came to life and killed all the humans. Yes, Maximum override? <laughs> Maximum overdrive, yeah, that's right, with the Green Goblin truck. Yeah, yeah. We that made you. We <laughs> made you. No, but the the Planet of the Apes theory is a fun one, and it would explain why some animals can think and some animals can't. Uh, I don't know though. We I don't I don't know if we'll ever have a satisfactory answer short of Mark Brown himself yeah. coming onto the show and laying down the law. Which Mr. Brown, we'd be happy to have you here. So all episode. You Season 12, episode 4, it's like Arthur goes to, like, the real world a la The Simpsons or something. Like, watch us speak about how there's never an explanation, and I bet they, like, write one near the end just to just to spite us. <laughs> Our next one comes from Corbon Garcia, former guest of the show, Corbon. Uh, he's, he knows he's been I think he's this. He's a uh, Corbon's graduated to friend of the show status, I would say. I agree. Friend of the show, Corbon Garcia. Very well said. Uh, he just wanted to send in his top five episodes from season two, uh, which Lucas and I both did. If you're curious, our thoughts on season two, uh, you can go back to that episode just a few away. Uh, his So he doesn't put them in uh, order from one to five. Uh, so it's, uh, I should say, from descending order or ascending order it's just kind of one two five uh he's got arthur meets mr rogers which he says was the first arthur episode he ever saw arthur makes a movie which influenced his love for filmmaking uh the short quick summer which he re which is an episode he relates to buster baxter cat saver which he deems a classic and fern's slumber party which he also really relates to he says i'm looking forward to listening to your arthur's perfect christmas commentary and toward your takes the rest of season three merry christmas from corbon 
On that note, Will, before we get into his email, yes, uh, where can people find the Arthur's Perfect Christmas Commentary? Well, Lucas, uh, you, they can go back to the old haunt. SoundCloud.com slash Elwood City Limits is where you can find the commentary for Arthur's Perfect Christmas. And we even put the link to that very special in the description on that file. So go on over there, have yourself a boogie-woogie Christmas and a rockin' and a reelin' new year. And finally, we have an email here from Matt, uh, who uh, the email is titled, How Great is Reading Rainbow? Hey, Will and Lucas, my favorite episode of Reading Rainbow was the one where they went behind the scenes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Besides causing my interest in both Star Trek and filmmaking, the main story read in the episode also happened to feature The Bionic Bunny Show by Mark Brown. The book doesn't actually involve Arthur and company at all, but the character would obviously later be included in the TV series. It's a fun bit of unintentional crossover, but I think the real reason to seek the episode out is all the cool behind-the-scenes info on TNG. Keep up the good work. He's very excited for the two musical episodes this season, which so am I. And he, did, he didn't include any insane Crap Brothers theories this time, but if we ever are in need, uh, hit up Matt. Thanks a lot, Matt. And he uh, gave us a link to the uh, episode, which uh, I think I may just take a whirl because uh, Jenna and I are almost done TNG. We've only got a couple of episodes left. Wow, did you watch it all in linear order? You didn't like look up one of those like TNG in eight hours lists or something like that? From season one to season seven, every wow. single one. Wow, that's a that's a rough first two seasons. It was, but it wasn't without its charms. Like there, there are a couple of things worth watching in those first two seasons. It's just once you hit three into about six, it gets real, real good. Like on yeah. a on a show to show basis. The okay. old the old rule: Does Riker have a beard? Then. If he does, I'm watching this episode. If he doesn't, the next question on that flowchart is, is this the episode with the goopy monster? And if it's not, then I'm not going to watch the episode. Although that can be a bit of a false flag because Riker got the beard in season two and the and the, and the quality uptick didn't really start until season three. So be careful. It's more of an Ooh. I before E except after C rule. It's not hard <laughs> and fast. All right. So all that is out of the way. Thank you, everybody, for the emails. Really appreciate it as always, and let's do it. This is the Arthur episode that starts with Arthur Goes Crosswire. So we, it's, uh, speaking of flags, we've got a flag here, uh, a flag on the play for a Muffy episode. Uh, Arthur's starting the episode talking about uh, how change uh, can happen sometimes. It can be good or it can be bad. Uh, examples being when the cafeteria tries out a new recipe, such as Mrs. McGrady testing eggplant gelatin, which everybody doesn't even dare to try, except for Buster, who really likes it. Now, Will, I know our shtick is, uh, like, listen, I'm uh, comedy's not new to me, Will. It's old hat. I know <laughs> our shtick is you always are disgusted by the foods, and, you know, I always play devil's advocate, and hilarious comedy ensues, but I have to say... This one might be just a hair too far for even me. I don't know if I could defend eggplant gelatin. Well, I I mean, it, it, at this point, the the disgusting food is kind of, it's it, it's a little old hat, so I didn't want to spend too much time on it, but I'm glad that we found the ceiling. So eggplant gelatin, <laughs> eggplant gelatin is where you draw the line. I'm, I'm happy to hear it in a way. That's right. It wasn't at the, the ice cream with the chicken feet sticking out of it. It was eggplant gelatin was... Uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. Okay. So good. Good. This this is okay. 
Finally, <laughs> finally, you're becoming human. Uh, we also have uh, Arthur saying change could be good sometimes, like when DW pretended that she was a cat for about a week straight. Uh, th- by the way, I think this also is a meme that I've seen somewhere. There's a there's a part where DW where Arthur says, "Look, DW, a mouse," and she kind of looks around and hisses. And I've definitely seen like an in between uh, screen grab of her kind of hunched over on the floor and like like doing a wild reaction. DW auditioning to be a manimal. Yeah, Look up manimal on YouTube, folks, or don't. She's it's up the, to you. She's pretty agile. She's got the cat part down. She's like jumping straight from the from the floor to the top of the couch in like one de- adept movement. She also arches her back like a cat, or let's say a crossfitter uh, would arch their back when they're having poor deadlift form. Oh, so maybe I was gonna say, do you think DW gets into CrossFit later in life? But maybe she, maybe she tries. DW definitely gets into CrossFit later in life, and then talks <laughs> about it nonstop. Absolutely, that's yes, yes. DW is absolutely into CrossFit later so she, on in life. So she's on Insta. She's talking about getting swollen. Yep, 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 yep. She's on Insta. She's hitting that big old tire with a hammer. The, she's doing the works. Do, doing the ropes. The ropes, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, the ropes, they always look they always look like it's not that hard. But it's got to be hard because they do always show video of people doing it. It just doesn't look that hard. But maybe no. it's because they're so fit that they make it look easy. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably what it is. And, I mean, it's the, the ropes are probably very, very heavy and just kind of... <laughs> I would assume. I assume it's not just an elaborate prank to make me think that, like... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, there's only two possibilities here. It's one, the ropes are hard, and two, everyone in the world is in on an elaborate joke and tricking me that CrossFit's actually hard, when in reality, swinging those ropes around is as easy as it looks. Yeah, I I don't know how likely that would be. Uh, Sounds like a little bit of paranoid thinking uh, to me. Uh, so this, actually, this, both of these, um, both parts of this episode are based around Mr. Ratburn assigning a new, well, assignment, uh, the day after he has already assigned one. And it's about, I think it's, what is it, a page and a half on the animal of their choosing? It's a fun assignment. I'd like to do that. Yeah, it's, it's gotta be pretty bare bones, though. I mentioned, you know, he's, you know, he's assigned some some heavy stuff so far in the show and it's just like all right a page and a half a page and a half group report on an animal of their choosing so it's not you know it's not gonna break them it's not a brain breaker like uh ratbirds used to and mm. i was watching this with jenna and she said i assume he means animals besides themselves oh no <laughs> oh jeez. it's got it's hey it's got to be said we don't have to dwell on it but i i i was thinking the same thing uh, so of course Arthur and Buster are kind of, uh, hearing this and they're crossing their fingers that they get to be in a group together, but no, as they're leaving school, Buster saying like, maybe it won't be all that bad. And Arthur re revealed that he has been paired up with Muffy and he looks as psyched about working with Muffy as we are to talk about her. <laughs> he um, gets kidnapped. Yeah, he does. He really, like, she really takes him by the scruff of his neck, which is a, which is a, a gag in cartoons I always like when somebody is, like, pulled off screen by the by the crook of their neck. Not only pulled off screen, but, like, imprisoned in, in a car against his will, driven off in a limousine. The whole thing's a little, like, like, I was thinking, like, did Arthur, like, plan to go with Muffy after school? He couldn't have because 
they just heard about the assignment at the school day. So like, where does his parents think he is? That's a great that's a great question. But you know, when you got money, I mean, you could just kind of do these things. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. They could make the charges disappear. Uh, so they go out on the high seas on Muffy's yacht to try and see. Uh, I believe they're researching dolphins for their report, but they didn't or, see or or whales see or something. Wh- whales. That's it. Whales. Uh, oh my god! I just realized. Yeah. That the the assignment in both these episodes is the same assignment. Yeah, it's almost because at the end of the other episode, the end of the next episode, uh, Arthur's in the whale costume. I didn't put that together until now that it's these these stories are happening concurrently. Yeah, it's a it's it's a framing device that uh, both of the stories kind of spin out of, which I which I think is cool, and it's a it's a device that they don't use all the time. Anyway, Arthur at the next day at the Sugar Bowl is just talking about how bored he was over there. There, him and Buster are having some pretty good looking ice creams, ice cream sundays, and uh, Jenna and Prunella come up and say how jealous they are of Arthur and how cool it is that he got to hang out on Muffy's yacht. Nice to see Jenna getting more speaking lines. Buster is helping him hatch a plan that he can well not so much hatch a plan just saying that he should fake sick so that he doesn't have to go back on Muffy's yacht but then when Arthur kind of realizes uh what that means from a status standpoint you know he gets up to join Muffy and, and he even says some people would give anything to go on Muffy's yacht and I will add he left his whole ice cream behind and I was mad I this was also one of my favorite moments of this whole episode because uh, the way Buster delivers his lie, we've established that Buster either like is a poor liar on purpose when he just kind of he, Buster's got a motor mouth. He just says things and gets himself in trouble all the time, sort of accidentally snitching. This time he actually delivers his lie, but the way he overacts, where he's like, "Sorry, Muffy." Arthur can't come. He's sick. And then, like, he does one of those winks where you lift your head all the way up, wink, and then push your head all the way down. Uh, I just thought it was a great little moment. That's a great point. Uh, Buster, proven to be a very bad liar. But Muffy doesn't seem to be terribly concerned about it. She's just like, yeah. Oh. She's like, oh, okay, whatever. Yeah. I like Buffy's role of this episode is like, this episode has a lot to do with Buffy, but she's kind of also unimportant to the episode it's more of an arthur episode like you said at the start it, it, arthur goes crosswire i thought it was gonna be a buffy episode but it really is more of an arthur episode buffy's just kind of like an well not so much innocent but a bystander in all this yeah she's like a she's like a greek god on mount olympus it's like there's a lot there's a lot of the story that's kind of concerning her but she is not the main part of the story hmm I guess I guess you could say that. I'm sure you could say a lot of different things. So when they go back out on the yacht, they don't see any more whales. They do run into Wilbur Rabbit, who, if you'll remember from all the way back in Arthur episode one, is the actor who plays Bionic Bunny on TV. And I guess he's like filming a reality show on his yacht. That's right, because he's not just out for like a stroll because there is a boom mic and stuff. Yeah, and it seems that whether, whether uh, manufactured or not, uh, his bo- his yacht has broken down, and they give him a lift uh, onto the shore, and then they are on Wilbur Rabbit's show the following night, and uh, Arthur's kind of bragging about it to everybody. So the the whole thing with this episode is that Arthur kind of becomes uh, a kind of one a, a hanger on to Muffy, and I will say it's a very nice subtle kind of bougie tone to his voice that Arthur adopts when he's like talking about high society. It's it's kind of hard to reproduce, but he's it's a very affected like you know when he says like besides the club is for 
friends only. And it's like... So I have a perfect way of explaining this. Go, 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 do uh, it. Arthur, when he starts to act like Buffy in this episode, sounds exactly like Fraser's brother Niles. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I kind of hear that. A He's bit. got the same mannerisms and the same speech patterns, and he reacts to situations in ways that I can only assume are the same. Yeah, he's very he's very like Connecticut nouveau riche. Yeah, uh, that that kind of thing. It's it's a very good choice by the by the voice actor, uh, Michael Yarmish. I thought that that was a very nice touch. So they see him on TV that night. He's watching it at Muffy's place. Uh, of course, Arthur's cameo is nothing to write home about. He just kind of freezes in front of the camera. But he's bragging about the next day about how he was watching it and how big Muffy's high D TV was. Do you think that television was like what four eighty? Gotta yeah, it it can't be more than it. We're not we're not. I don't even think we're not talking seven twenty at this point. It's nineteen ninety nine. It was probably like 480i or something. <laughs> it's like one of those old uh, big screen TVs from the 90s. Like you would go to your friend's house and it's like you didn't know at the time like how the the lighting on the screen was so terrible because like if the sun hits it at all, then you can't see a thing. I'll tell you what, though. They're great to play Smash Brothers Melee or Parappa the Rappa on. Not much else, though. That is what they're built for. Uh, watching the Wil- Wilbur Rabbit's TV show on what Arthur says is the Celebrities at Sea Network. <laughs> so, Which is a funny line. Yeah, just the kind of the kind of satellite TV gag that you would get back in the 90s. Right, right, right. Arthur says that you can only get it on satellite TV and sort of uh, gives brain some guff for not having satellite TV. Yeah, and, th- and, th- and that's kind of where we get the, you know, Arthur acting snooty. He's just like, don't you have satellite TV? Uh, and kind of le- starts leading him down the wrong path. Uh, him and uh, Arthur and Muffy decide to make the, what is it, the Wilbur Rabbit, the Friends of Wilbur Rabbit Society or something like that? Yes. Arthur is writing up their pledge on, like, this authentic 1800s, like, scroll paper. I don't know where he got that from. He would have probably had to, like, it, it looks like it's there's, like, a, a rip in the top. It's all rolled up. He probably had to, like, put some authentic coffee stains on that or put it in the oven or something. Well, also, their their pledge is, like, word for word a ripoff of the... Uh, the declaration? Oh, um... See, I don't want to speak out of turn here because I'm not sure if it it's, is the declaration. Dec- it's some sort of famous American uh, uh, document from that era, and I apologize if I'm getting this wrong. We are Canadians, but I know that we the people is important. I know that it's, you know, well, Alexander Hamilton stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Like, at one point, Arthur is writing down with liberty and justice for all. Yeah, so- I think that's, like, ripped from something. Oh, it absolutely it absolutely is. But I, I'm I want to say the Declaration of Independence, but uh, American listeners feel free to uh, correct us on this because we the most the closest we have is the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. It is, and it's also I thought it was kind of cute of like you know the Friends of Wilbur Rabbit Society is kind of like a fan site before fan sites were a thing. Hmm. Well, people used to have fan clubs all the time. If you remember, Selena was killed by a member of her fan club. That's right. And, yeah, but, like, fan clubs that you would send away for. I remember, um, so, like, I used to rent Power Rangers videotapes all the time. And at the end of the videotape, you could join the Power Rangers fan club by, like, sending away a self-addressed stamped envelope and, like, I don't know, a check for 
$10 or $20 or something, and you could get, like, all of these stickers and, like, a membership card and, like, a static Ooh. cling and stuff like that. And I always wanted to join it, and I never did. But but in that sense of just, like, that was kind of how, you know, fan, uh, fan clubs were, were a thing. You know, there was the Nintendo Power Fan Club uh, that was all ma- that was all mail order and stuff like that. Uh, anyway, at, at any rate, Arthur is again acting very uh, bad and bougie at this point. If you'll allow me the indulgence, yeah. uh, and he is. Um, we also hear Muffy's word now. If Muffy's used this before, and I feel like she probably has, it has not been very much. Like it, ha- it's not yet her catchphrase. She says vomitrocious. Oh Ar- yes, yeah. so she's she's definitely said it a couple times. I remember you pointing out like, oh, Muffy said vomitrocious for the first time. Uh, uh, but like when Arthur gr- uh, drops his lunch on the floor, even though it's still in the bag, you know, she's like, you don't want to be eating a germ witch. And then Arthur drops a book on the ground and she's like vomitrocious. And and that's and that's when we kind of realize that Arthur is beginning to quote unquote go crosswire. It's because he he himself says vomitrocious, and he kind of says it uh, in a very uncertain way, like he's just kind of testing out a new catchphrase. He's just like, it's like I don't want to put pick that book off the ground. Vomitrocious. A couple things here. One, when he drops the sandwich on the ground and discards it and gives yeah. it to Buster, Buster says, "Oh, great, because my mom only packed me one sandwich today." Buster's living that two sandwich lifestyle, and I think uh, we'd all be better for it if we all adopted Buster's two sandwich way of living. Agreed. Then, uh, many a time have I found myself at work with a uh, brown bag sandwich, thinking, "Hmm, I wish I had another sandwich." <laughs> uh, secondly, when uh, <laughs> This part, I was like, this is probably the hardest I laughed at this first episode, is uh, when Arthur says Bob Atrocious, and uh, it, it leaves Binky and Braid kind of befuddled and confused. Uh, the Braid has his Horatio of CSI Miami moment, where Binky goes, oh, Buster, uh, Arthur's got a haywire or something, and then the Braid goes, no, he's gone crosswire and you could he like just came short of putting on the sunglasses and then yeah <laughs> it's you're absolutely right um they it's it's actually afterwards when uh, brain and binky are trying to return arthur's book to him and uh he thinks that they're asking for an autograph so he signs the book and uh yeah and brain's like arthur's gone haywire and they and a couple of good shots right here back to back first it's the zoom in to brain's eyes it's an extreme close-up of his eyes as he's got like the uh i don't know what you'd call it but like the raised eyebrow and the concerned mm. look and he's like crosswire and then it's like binky with the book open and arthur's autograph and he closes the book and then we do a wipe and Arthur is opening a book at the exact same angle. I thought that was really cool. Buster comes in to ask him if he uh, wants to go see the new video game Planet Smasher at the arcade. What do you think Planet Smasher is like? You think it's like uh we get a we get a screenshot of it and it's like it's a planet exploding and it's a double joystick game, so maybe it's like an asteroids clone or something. Or it's like um, there was that game that was like the reverse of Missile Command. I think it was made by the Missile Command people. Okay. But instead of like shooting at missiles coming towards the ground, you were like had a view of the Earth and you would uh, shoot. Oh, I don't know if you were shooting missiles down at the Earth or you were still shooting missiles but from a different perspective. Gosh, that's going to kill me. I'm going to Google what this game's called, but uh, continue on. Sure thing. Uh, and 
Arthur says that they're that he and Muffy are the meeting the fr- convening the Friends of Wilbur Rabbit Society, and Buster thinks that that sounds cool. But uh, no, Arthur says only f- people who know Wilbur uh, can join, and that it's only for Wilbur Rabbit's friends. Like he's big timing Buster, even though he, you know he met Wilbur Rabbit once. He and Muffy think that they've got this relationship, which you know is at least a parody of how kind of. Um, high society relationships go. Uh, so we, we do get to see a little bit of Planet Smasher at the arcade as Arthur and his friends kind of note that Arthur is going crosswire and essentially turning into Muffy. So they just devise a plan uh, to kind of snap him out of it for good. And Brains, like, comes up with a plan. It's like, Buster, that's a great idea. What we're going to do is... <laughs> and I'm like, why are you whispering the plan? Arthur's not there and you're in a noisy arcade. For the sake of the plot, I guess. Their plan, essentially, is as Arthur and Muffy are walking by the the whole group playing a game of baseball the next day, they all begin to imitate Muffy. And it's kind of great because uh, this whole part essentially becomes an exercise in dragging Muffy. Because... you know, Buster says vomitrocious. They're all kicking the ball around. They don't want to get dirty. Uh, Francine, like, walks to the next base and says, I'm too tired to go to the next <laughs> base. And, like, if I was Muffy, I would be pre- I would be pretty insulted. The big thing I took away from all this is that of all of them, I think the funniest Muffy impression is Binky. It's just really fun to see Binky act like Muffy because they're, you know, so different. Uh, yeah, because, uh, because Arthur begins to kind of see this and – there's there's a kind of a neat effect where a couple of the kids like their heads get switched with Muffy's heads, but doing the exact same thing. And when it goes to Binky, it's like if Muffy were Binky's size, it's it's kind of like size appropriate. Yeah, and his accent is just like this glove is hideous. It doesn't go with my outfit at all. So, <laughs> so it's a little bit of Valley Girl in there or something, which is not far off. Uh, Buster gets in a. A uh, pretty sick dig at Arthur. He says, uh, "Do you want to come to the Bionic Bunny fan club tonight?" And Ar- Arthur says, "That sounds great. Can I come?" And then Buster's like, "Sorry, Arthur. The club is for Bionic Bunny fans, not Wilbur Rabbit's friends." Which I think Buster sold it like in his delivery, but I will say that that moment was a little on the nose. Yeah, but it was definitely it was it definitely was. Uh, Aim to hurt, and I and the Buster's kind of ha- uh, sleepy expression on his face was mm, it was perfect. I could feel the the revenge coming back a little bit there. So then Arthur notes that everybody's acting like Muffy, but then Muffy says, "No, they're acting like you." And we kind of get a little bit of a uh, flashback to Arthur's lines previously in the episode, but instead of yeah, his head, this it's is Muffy's this head. is our. Are, it's like being John Malkovich mixed with the usual suspects. Like, <laughs> we, I, I will say, like, as interesting, this was weird because not only is it, like, so it's Arthur's clothes and it's Muffy's head, so it's like a mix of Muffy and Arthur, uh, but I do think it was kind of redundant to show us all these moments from the episode that we just saw. I understand what they were going for, but I don't know. It was a little clunky. Yeah, a, a little bit, and... Uh... At this point, Muffy kind of she 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 has seen all this. Like this isn't she's not ignorant to what's going on, but she is kind of just like she's like everyone. There's only one of me, and that's me. So thank you for your imitations, but I think I'll just stick to do to being Muffy from now on or something. And she walks away, and this was kind of the part that I guess how it all can, it all comes together, and essentially the episode ends with. 
Arthur jumping into a puddle and renouncing his Muffy impression. And I kind of am confused with like where this leaves Muffy. You know what I mean? Because she's kind of. I a... think it, I think it leaves Muffy exactly where she started. Yeah, she... I think Muffy learned no. I think something we learned about Muffy from this episode is that she's kind of impervious to their criticism of her. So this episode was more about Arthur learning a lesson than Muffy learning a lesson. I think the takeaway is Muffy's Muffy, and that ain't changing. I guess so, but it's kind of strange because I almost expected something given the fact that it's like Arthur goes crosswire and it's like the whole episode is virgent upon her Vir- or I should, virgin doesn't no work um it's it's relying on her as a character but it also is not about her at all so i whether or not that works for you is i guess up to you and we'll talk about it later but for me it just i kind of left this episode more confused than anything and then the final shot is uh Binky actually kind of agreeing with the Muffy impression he did earlier of just like, the more I think about it, it's true. This glove totally clashes with my outfit. Vomitrocious. Keep that moment in mind for when we're uh, talking about this episode again. Sure. Okay. And now a word from us kids. And now a word from us kids. This one concerns the all children's storybook theater class where it's a, uh, a bunch of kids who are in an acting class and talking about what it's like to play a character that is not at all like them. So in the sense that Arthur was not acting like himself and, you know, being more like Muffy in, in this, this is kind of the good way to do it in terms of, you know, acting out a different character. This is a little, it's one of those word from us kids where it's like, it's a little bit of a stretch. Like it's only ancillarily, uh, uh, you know how to pronounce that. It's only like a little bit related to the episode in the sense that Arthur was kind of acting and I guess they could show these kids having an acting session, but it doesn't really have much to do with the episode. Yeah, it's a little it's a little hinky, but at the same time, it, you know, it's like, yeah, good, good enough. Uh, they are, you, you know, kind of rehearsing a play and figuring out their characters. It's it's. Uh, you know, just an original play. There's a, one of the girl, the, the cutaways in this one. So it cuts from them rehearsing the play to like them in front of a chalkboard with kind of dramatic lighting. It's almost like an office style cutaway before the office. Yeah. And the one girl who's really the star of the show is the one with like the really big nineties hair. Yeah. Uh, she, her enthusiasm's infectious. Uh, she's got some great, uh, gestures too throughout. And I, I did, I did have to laugh at the, at the closing line. One of the other girls is just like, if you want to act, you should become an actor. <laughs> it's but, true. So straightforward, truer words were never spoken. All right, let's get on to the second story here. Sue Ellen and the Brainosaurus. And this one. Uh, I loved this cold open, or or maybe I shouldn't be calling it. You know, I've been referring it to cold open all this time, but I think we actually have a canon uh, term for what these are. So it's the start of the episode. Arthur is being recorded on a video camera, and he says, "You know, some people have to do everything themselves." And then the whole point is that Brain is taking over uh, what he calls the teaser. So so they put the name teaser on it, and he's kind of. He's uh, being a little bit of a backseat driver on the whole thing. He's trying to get Arthur to emote more, or as he says, I like this, put a little shape into the line. Uh, uh, this this yeah. moment, the way this moment breaks the fourth wall and how it's like brain directing the episode is is great. And I don't know if it's because like the disaster artist is in theaters right now, so like uh, sort of 
abrasive directors or 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 crazed directors is hot right now but i i really enjoyed this moment and like brain saying put a little shape in the line is such a good that's just such a funny line yeah it is i mean the only way this could have been better is if brain had the tommy wiseau accent and at the end there when you know he's he's uh he's trying to stage manage arthur so much that eventually he just puts on Arthur's clothes and does the line reading for him. So it's like, you know, some people just have to do everything themselves. They won't <laughs> let anybody help them. You know, <laughs> he doesn't say it like that. I'm just saying the to- I couldn't resist the yeah. Tommy Wiseau accent. And brain, brain and Arthur's clothes and his glasses, it's weird. It's like just off enough where your brain's like, hey, wait a second. This isn't right. We'll talk about great editing. The comedic timing in this is fantastic because we have Braid's delivery of the line and wearing Arthur's clothes, and we immediately cut to an Arthur just wearing a white shirt and no glasses with a frown on his face. And it's a great smash cut. Yeah, it is. It no, it's it's a great it's a great little thing. I like when Arthur gets meta, and I like when it uh, kind of takes a little bit of the air out of itself. It's it's it, this one was a real winner. Uh, so again, this whole story is based off of the premise that they're doing the report on an animal they're choosing and the team this time is Sue Ellen and the brain so they get put together and they decide that they're going to do a model dinosaur a model t-rex so as they're meeting after school brain says that he has to do the preliminary uh, sketches of they're going to do a model of it so he's going to do that and get back to her later uh, as Sue Ellen's kind of talking about it with some of the other kids like Francine and Buster they say, you know, you're not going to have to do a lot of work with Brain. And Buster loved being paired with Brain because he's he's the best partner I ever had. He doesn't say why. But then Francine kind of says, well, you're my partner now and you're going to have to work for it sort of thing. So the implication is that Brain will do the lion's share of the work. This kind of reminded me of just in general team projects in grade school. I think we've talked about this before in the episode where Arthur, Fran- uh, Francine and Buster were a team. Uh, it, I believe the episode was called Team Trouble. Uh, but I, it reminded me of there was always you would come across every once in a while those group uh, those groups you would be in where the balance of power or rather the balance of work was very unequal. It's true. I feel like later in life, teachers started correcting this with peer evaluations. Um, but in elementary school, it was sort of a, an unregulated Wild West where someone could end up doing all the work and someone else doing none and coasting on by. Absolutely. It just, so it just gave me a little bit of a flashback to that. So Sue Ellen is not exactly, you know, she at first she's, you know, at home eating popcorn and not really concerning herself, but she does she doesn't want to do nothing. So she calls the brain and asks how it's going, and he kind of brushes her off at first because his head is really into this T-Rex model, and he has a he has an imagination of himself, and he is like a I want to say um, you know at least t- ten to fifteen years older, and he's presenting in front of a, a studio audience his uh, latest finding, which turns out to be a live T-Rex. Now this, so I've got a few things to say about this uh, this imagination sequence. First off. Like, before we really see anything, we hear Brain's grown-up voice, and it's so douchey, and I love it, because it fits it so perfectly. It's He is the uh, stereotypical, almost, like, dot-com uh, yes. entrepreneur. Like these... I wrote down the same thing. He He's like a he's like a tech CEO at a, co- at a press conference being like, oh, the Galaxy S phone is... And mixed with, like, 
the worst of TED Talks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he, and it nails it. And again, it's a, a great credit to Brain's voice actor because he's able to kind of age himself up a little bit. But it really sounds so smarmy. He's like, ever since I was a little boy, I knew that I was going to be. It's 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 kind of hard to to imitate, but once you hear it, you know what I mean. Uh, so Brain like rises a T Rex up from a platform, and uh, what it does is he gives it the microphone, and it does like an awful stand up routine in a Groucho Marx voice. Uh. When you say awful, I think what you really mean is amazing. I don't know what it is, but whenever Arthur has a take on stand-up comedy, I always find it beyond hilarious. Like, in the episode where Fern's got the robot, the, the computer, and it, the computer's making a bunch of stand-up comedy jokes, I could I was, like, enjoying that like a laugh riot. Similarly with the Groucho Marx dinosaur, I was... I don't even know if I was laughing. I think I just had mouth agape shock on my face as this, like, dinosaur, without having to do with anything else in the entire episode, it just goes into a stand-up comedy routine. But, I mean, when... Do you, did you write down what the joke was? I don't even remember what the joke was, just that it was fantastic. Oh, it was, uh... Uh, it's like I woke I woke up with an I woke up one morning with an elephant right. in my pajamas. How the elephant got in my pajamas, I'll never know. <laughs> but even in like, no matter how you feel about the joke, even in universe, it's meant to be like bad because the audience, you know, is at first very afraid of the T Rex. Then he makes the joke and the and they listen to it and then they all run out of run out screaming. And then after it's over, Brain kind of says, "I need to work on his material," which oh, I thought was so which that was a funny line. Uh, so brain is very much a lot, a lot, maybe too much is riding on this T-Rex model. And he's over, over the episode, he has a couple of, vi uh, uh, visions of what he think Sue Ellen's contributions to the model might be. And his first one is that she would make an entire T-Rex out of like cake and pastries. And, and so he like imagines that happening and you know, all the kids rush over to the display and they end up eating it. And then there's a couple of great lines from from imaginary Ratburn in this episode. And he's just like, unfortunately, this isn't a baking contest. You fail. Yeah, unlike Miss Mary Berry or Paul Hollywood, Mr. Ratburn was not very impressed. Which didn't make a lot of sense to me because I think even in Brain's imagination, wouldn't he know that Mr. Ratburn, like, loves the heck out of some cake? Wouldn't he love this? Well, he didn't get any. The kids ate it first. I guess so. Maybe you know what? Maybe that's the key. Maybe he's jealous. Uh, <laughs> so Brain is very uh, trepidatious about letting Suella near this, and at this point, he begins to like actually avoid her. Uh, we get another instance like Suella's in the library and saying to Francine, "Like I haven't been even been able to find him for the last couple of days." Brain uses like a newspaper as a disguise. It's almost like a like a hitman level. He's like. <laughs> The, the amount of times that, like, n newspaper and reading materials are used as disguises in uh, Arthur is great. And uh, although it is a little bit misrepresenting of how good a newspaper is at, like, hiding your identity. Well, it's a very, like, prop comedy, like, Buster Keaton, Carrot Top, like, that kind of humor where it's, like, two eye holes in a newspaper to spy on people. Uh, but it always is. It, the reason people still do jokes like that is because it's a 
funny visual and it works. Brain is almost a pseudo villain in this episode. Not really. He's just kind of an antagonist and that he's not letting Sue Ellen uh, be part of the project and he's being a little bit controlling. But I always seem to enjoy the episodes where Brain is an antagonist more than when he's just like a regular character. I don't know if it's because I naturally dislike his character. Maybe there's a little bit of sh too much of Sheldon Cooper in there for me. But, uh, I, like, the episode where Braid is a straight-up villain, uh, where he's, like, trying to prank Buffy, I love- that's, like, the most I've ever gotten a kick out of Brain, and we get a little bit of shades of this in here. I just think he's more interesting when he's into the darker stuff. I think I agree. It's just that he's able to show a little bit more depth of character. Like, when he's a- when he- when he's a babyface, he's, like, not super interesting. He's just kind of there. But when he's- And a, a know-it-all. Yeah, like, I think it works for it's more natural for him to be like if he's a know-it-all let's have his negative qualities shine a little bit more yeah and, and his negative qualities are inherently much more interesting so I agree with you there Brain is uh, or Sue Ellen imagines that uh, you know or sorry I think Fern kind of feeds Sue Ellen's imagination and she thinks that Brain is overworking himself and we get a quick cutaway where it's like Brain his head is attached to like this Rube Goldberg device where it's like if he ever uh, you know, leans his head down towards the desk and gets tired, then, like, this hits this and this hits that, and, like, a laser cuts a rope on a skeleton on a chalkboard, and it just screeches, and he just, it just sits up and goes, must keep working, must keep working. I'm a sucker for a good Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah, me too. Um, I I don't want to go past this, and I apologize because I interrupted you, but when they're in the library and Brain's hiding behind the newspaper, we have an incredible moment where uh, Sue Ellen confronts the Brain, and he runs off into a closet, and when he turns the light on, Buster's there hiding. The subplot of this episode is that Buster's avoiding uh, Francine because he, he's used to working with Brain. He just doesn't want to do any work, so he's just refusing to participate in the project whatsoever. Uh, and so he has a great line about uh, Brain essentially blowing up his spot by entering his hiding place. Yeah, Bra yeah Brain's like, uh, that was close. And Buster's like, you're telling me. You almost gave away my position. <laughs> uh, we also get another, we get a great Buster disguise as he's in the library and uh, Francine is still actively looking for him. And he's dressed up like a member of ZZ Top. He's got this like giant beard and trench coat and hat, but he almost yeah, gives himself away. He looks like he's about to solve a murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, it's like that level of bad facial hair. Sue Ellen again goes to Brain's house to try try and offer her help. Like Brain is uh, almost halfway done the T-Rex at this point, and Sue Ellen volunteers to make the head uh, out of clay. Um, but Brain is very nervous about this, and he imagines that she is going to make the clay make the clay head like have long blonde hair and like these giant red lips. Yeah, which which looks kind of looks kind of freaky, and another great rat bird line in Brain's imagination. He's like, "Oh, this I'm, was so good." I'm afraid you're gonna be in third grade for a long time, Alan. <laughs> but I, but yeah, it's kind of like with Brain being the villain, maybe not the villain in this episode, but an antagonist of sorts. Like his fears about Sue Ellen are not really giving her a lot of credit. They're almost a little regressive in a way. He's just like, oh, she's going to make it girly or it's like she's going to make it out of cake or something because she's a girl. And it's it's not necessarily that she is a girl, but that's kind of what his brain goes to. He's just, mm. d d they don't, d there's a possibility that they may not share a vision and brain doesn't, the, is being as, they will call him later, a report hog. 
because he's a bit of a control freak. But I just I was I wasn't up on kind of brains imaginations of what it could be. I will say the two of them create a um, uh, a T Rex head, their own T Rex head, out of modeling clay and this is like pro level clay work from you know i like i realized early on when i was a kid i was not good at you know making things out of clay like not even play-doh but like this is some real good stuff i'm impressed there's a quick barney joke i think where suella's making the dinosaur head uh skeleton and it, she makes one that looks like Barney and then kind of shakes her head and goes, no, and then, like, makes one that actually looks photorealistic. I guess what that that's what that was. I think you're right, actually. That's a good thats a good observation. It does look a lot like Barney. And, uh, yeah. No, that I can't believe I missed that. It's very smiley. I just thought it was that, like, oh, it doesn't look like the T-Rex head that they eventually go with. It doesn't look, like, photorealistic or anything. But, uh, yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right about that. Good, good For catch. You, for you ASMR fans out there, there's some great clay ASMR noises during this montage. <laughs> a lot of great, much to my chagrin. A lot of great squelching noises on the clay. Ugh. Sue Ellen brings the head over to Brains the next morning. He's been working all night. I will That's say, right. Sue Ellen's a really big fan of uh, crime cinema. Bring me the head of uh, the T Rex to Brain tomorrow night. Yeah. Uh, I will say tired brain looks like me at any point of any day. <laughs> like brain answers the door in his pajamas and his hair is all mussed up and he looks half asleep. And I'm like, yeah, that's just kind of how I look and how I dress. <laughs> For, so Sue Ellen brings in her T-Rex head, but then finds out that brain has done his own and she shows it to him. And he's in, he's very hypercritical of it. You know, he's just like, you know, the bridge of the nose is all wrong. And, you know, and this is wrong. It's like she holds it next to it. It's just like they look exactly the same. And Brain's like, maybe to the untrained eye. So do uh, do you know the name of Sue Ellen's voice actor? I can find out. I think I've said this before in another previous Sue Ellen episode, but I think of all the voice work in Arthur, Sue Ellen might have uh, my favorite vocal performance. Like I said it before mm. um, in other episodes, but I think Sue Ellen's voice is so unique uh, and the way she delivers her lines are, I think, a step above almost all the other actors in terms of realism. Like a lot of the other uh voice actors it's not necessarily they give bad performances i love the voice acting on arthur but a lot of it is like cartoon voice acting where a lot of it can be overstated or over the top suellen's timing and delivery is so perfect throughout this episode like when she's playing off brain um it's always like some characters like when they're voice acting like specifically buster and stuff like that like it sounds like they're delivering or arthur's a lot of times too it sounds like they're delivering lines at a booth uh, Ellen always sounds like she's interacting with the other person and I've always really enjoyed her voice work uh, she has a great line later on in this episode where uh, her mom asks her if she's having a bad dream and she goes ugh a bad reality uh, and it's it's just such a perfect delivery and I also think that vocal rage is on display here where she's sort of going back and forth with brain and getting more and more frustrated and sticking up for herself uh, and she does just a fantastic job 
I agree, and I think that that's a good that's a good point to make. And uh, you know, it's I didn't even really actively think about it until talking about it right here. I think she's got one of the more underrated voices in Arthur, but I absolutely understand what you're talking about. And this is episode's a great showcase for her. Uh, the the actor's name is Patricia Rodriguez, who did Sue Ellen from seasons one to eight, and there's a different voice actor. Uh, that's doing her now. So yeah, uh, I'm I'm glad that you kind of brought that up. It's a it's a very good point. So Brain eventually finishes the T Rex on his own, and Sue Ellen's very frustrated with him. And she sees him at school the next day. He's like transporting it on like a rolling um, base, I guess you'd call it. And it kind of like he doesn't have a very good handle on it. And uh, Sue Ellen tries to help him carry it in, but he, even then he's very reluctant. He's just like, I'll do it on my own. It's fine. And then Sue Ellen kind of lets it go as they're struggling. And he ends up falling over and it falls into a conveniently placed mud pit. So Brain falls like face first into it. And then the the bones are all mixed up into the mud pit. And he kind of runs away. Uh, he's talking about it with Francine pretty much right after <laughs> this it happens. This was so great. This is, this aw- is, like- this is awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, not to interrupt. But yeah, you're no, you're right. Because uh, Francine initially is just like and she let you fall in the mud that's hilarious and uh so she's she's kind of clowning on brain right now and i mean we're used to this francine is she even says it herself uh she says i'm kind of a rude person which is yeah she says i would have pushed you yeah well i'm kind of a rude person but and she brings to light the fact that the brain is routinely a report hog but i just thought it was a great example of rare example of Francine's kind of uh, demeaning someone to actually be like earned. Like it's, it's it's not, it's not her being a bully. It's kind of brain getting his just desserts by having Francine laugh at him and say that he probably deserved it. I also think that it was refreshing to see Francine be so self-aware, like the way she, again, it's another case of perfect delivery with the playful way she delivers. Well, I'm kind of a rude person. Uh, we don't usually see Francine in this role as like a side character, uh, one giving sage advice and two being the comic relief. And I like Francine in this role. Again, I prefer brain as an uh, antagonist. and I prefer Francine as like the wise friend. Yeah, no, you're right. Self-aware is the word for it. And I really appreciated it too. Um, and she kind of brings to light the times that Brain has acted this way. Like, they did a report the year before, she says, where he oh, was na- great. He was Napoleon, and Brain's dressed up, you know, in the typical Napoleon garb. And Francine was France. <laughs> and so she has a beret on, and she's lying on the floor. And they, like, basically cut a hole out of a giant map of France. And she's just supposed to stand there. And, like, she, and she said, you didn't give me any lines. And, like, Brain leans down to her and shushes her, which I thought was really funny. Um, she says even in preschool, he had to do like, he had to do things his own way where like he and Buster are finger painting and he kind of editorializes Buster's picture of, uh, himself and like adds his own little smile. So it's him kind of butting in on somebody else's work. And then Francine's like, well, what, what, how would you feel if Sue Ellen treated you the way, uh, you treated her? And it's like prospectively Sue Ellen kind of yelling at him for, ruining her potential a plus which is a bit uh more aggressive than brain was to her but it's in kind of the same spirit yeah so and the word here is report hog as brain and francine kind of say and like if i were in sue ellen's situation i probably would have called him something a little worse than report hog but you know they can't exactly do that on pbs so it's it's understood 
uh, Brain eventually does apologize to Suell, and he's still got the mud on him, and and they and he thinks that their report is ruined, but then Suellen has come up with a way for it to work. Uh, the final scene of the story is um, we kind of come in on the end of Arthur and Muffy's presentation on whales, and Arthur's wearing this actually pretty cool whale costume. <laughs> Yeah, it's I I assume like Buffy like financed the construction of this whale costume because it's like it's like halftime show uh, mascot level of quality. Um, but you're right, I do love how this came full circle and both of these stories were happening concurrently. So we get to see the fruits of uh, Arthur and Muffy's whale watching expedition. Yeah, and so when Brain and uh, Sue Ellen are called on to do their presentation, Sue Ellen asks to move it outside, and it's, you know, like I said, the conveniently placed uh, mud pit that the bones fell into actually works out to be a great example of uh, them kind of simulating a uh, an archaeological dig. So, uh, you know, they have unintentionally recreated... Uh, how scientists would have discovered dinosaur bones. And Biggie has a line here when it's just like, can we go... And Sue Ellen says, can we go outside for our presentation? And Biggie goes, all right, field trip. Gosh, Biggie, like, I know we've said Biggie is the best character, but, like, when is Biggie not delivered? Like, whenever he's on screen, uh, he just makes everything that in the episode better. In B- both these episodes. Biggie just grows on you. Uh, so, you know, Sue Ellen introduces the idea and then Brain Brain's role is to show everybody how to dig it up. The end and the very end is uh Buster saying uh that that this part that their report is gonna take all day, so they probably have an extra day to finish their report, does Francine and Buster, and it ends with Francine handcuffing herself to Buster and saying, We're sticking together until it's done. <laughs> like that Nathan for you episode where he handcuffs the guy before he can cash the check. I'll take... And they have to get a hotel room together. It's a very good Nathan for you episode. I'll have to take your word for it. Okay, so with uh, kind of the same framing device of both of these uh, stories, let's talk about what we thought about them. Let's go back to Arthur Goes Crosswire. What'd you think? Arthur Goes Crosswire, it's difficult, right? Because the whole point of the episode is for Arthur to act so an- annoying that his friends can't stand him because he's acting like Muffy. But I don't know if Arthur was the best fit as a character to act like Muffy. Like like I said before about X-Pac Heat with Prudella, like, Arthur gets so annoying that you just kind of don't really want to watch the episode anymore. And it's also another one of those episodes where you could kind of see the moral coming from a mile away. Not really the moral, but the conclusion. Like, obviously, Arthur's not just going to act like Buffy forever, so something's going to change it back. Um, and it got me thinking during the end sequence when they're all playing the baseball game and everybody's acting like Buffy, I got a lot more enjoyment out of Binky acting like Buffy. And I thought it'd be a lot more interesting if, like, you had the exact same episode but instead of Arthur being so worried about, uh, you know, the esteem that comes along with hanging around with Muffy and sort of becoming addicted to that, if it was Binky in that situation, I think that'd be a lot more interesting and maybe a, a lot more fun to see that character in that situation. Whereas Arthur, we know he's super anxious and we know he super cares about how everybody thinks of him. And so it just kind of said seemed like it was treading similar water that we've seen before so i didn't really end up enjoying arthur goes crosswire 
Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I don't think it's like the pits or anything like that, but it's definitely not one I would want to revisit. Uh, there were some. I will. I do want to point out there were some good lines here and there. Uh, so there was there was a couple of good and good sight gags as well. But overall, mm. but overall, great direction with either both. Both these episodes had really good like animation direction and storyboarding. Well, I might disagree with you just a little bit there. I felt that the uh, the animation at times in Arthur Goes Crosswire was a little awkward, and I don't want to I don't want to go too far into like criticizing animation because really I'm not the type of person to say. Uh, but I just kind of felt like there was a lot more life in Sue Ellen and the Brainosaurus versus I felt there were like, I noticed that there were quite a few like just static shots of the characters not moving too much. And I don't know, it just the animation didn't totally work for me in that first story. Um, yeah, and the whole moral, it's like, like I said, I was kind of confused by the end of how to feel because it was a, it was a Muffy episode, but it wasn't. And I was kind of not sure kind of what her like what the meaning of her being there uh was at the end of it maybe i'm looking too too much into it which is totally possible but you're right the the moral of it all was kind of you could see it coming a mile away and it didn't really do enough to make to endear me to it in any way so it's not you know it's not awful but it's definitely not one i would check check out again uh so well in the brainosaurus i will say is definitely the s- stronger of the two i feel and you made a great point about um not uh, both about brain being uh a gr- much better in this kind of n- more antagonizing role and that Sue Ellen's voice actor does a really great job. I just kind of liked the idea of, you know, it being relatable, of being in a team situation and wanting to pull your weight, but the other person not really wanting to. So I thought that the character play between the two of them uh, worked pretty well here. And I thought that the episode was pretty funny at points, like even more so than Arthur Goes Crosswire. Like, uh, uh, you know, Brain's voice when he's doing like the Steve Jobs stand up. Uh, the the lengths Buster went to to get out of uh, doing the work and all this sort of stuff. I thought that was really funny. And Francine's moment of clarity I also really liked. So, uh, yeah, I'd say this is probably, if Arthur Goes Crosswire is kind of on the left side of the middle, I'd say this is a little bit on the right side of the middle. It's not ter- it's not terrific or anything, but I, I did enjoy it for what it was. I really liked uh, Swollen and the Brainosaurus. I thought it was like a joy to watch. Maybe it was because oh, wow. I was just, I was... Uh, pleasantly surprised after being disappointed by Arthur Goes Cray- Crosswire, and I was a little bored at that point. Mm. But I was throughfully entertained by Sue Ellen and the Brainosaurus. Uh, from great lines like uh, B- Braid sort of playing a director in the opening, put a little shape in that line, uh, or his tech presentation, or there's like so many small moments in this episode that we didn't even have time to touch on that I really enjoyed. Like there's a part where uh, at, right after Sue Ellen calls Braid to ask, like what she could do with the project braid pushes himself back like off his desk in his desk chair and lets out like an anguished sigh uh and like there's tons of small moments in this episode like similarly like Swellid's lied about oh, a bad reality or Buster hiding in the closet. Like, this episode's full of little moments that I enjoyed, but also it really delivers with the fun moral with the overall plot. And like you said, I think this episode, 
hearing you talk about how you know it's so negative that brain actually like perceived sue ellen as making like a dumb girly like Bra- brain's character in this episode assumes he's smarter than everybody and that's why he's a control freak because he wants to get the best grade possible and he doesn't trust anybody else to be as smart as him or to put as good of a project out there as him and that's why he has all these really funny uh imagination sequences of him getting failed because he doesn't expect much from anybody else and i think that this episode's actually pretty important in a modern context and seeing like braid expecting suella to put out this girly statue uh it's pretty similar to how some people would look down on other people and you know judge a book by its cover or have some expectations going in that other people aren't as smart as them so i think this is episode not only is it really really funny and full of fun moments but i think it's got a moral that uh you know still applies today if you're an adult not even just as an episode of arthur so i really enjoyed swelling at the Bradosaurus. good i'm glad that i'm glad that you did uh you know the episode as a whole felt a little more lukewarm to me but i, I also gotta say it's one of my favorite cold opens with sue ellen and the Bradosaurus. so kudos to them on that one and yeah uh we i i'm very i'm very heartened it's like it's it, i know that back in season two when we started to hit kind of a, a wave of Eh, like not great episodes uh, one after the other uh, we were kind of a little disheartened as to its quality but I, I did take a little peek at what we can expect for season 3 of Arthur I'm so excited to keep going with this season like I knew that this one was was going to be one where uh, you know I might not be as into it as some of the other ones that we've done so far but man some of the episodes we've got coming I don't want to spoil anything yet but I am so excited to keep going with season three. It's like this could end up being, I again, don't want to jinx it or even potentially spoil it, but it could be like the best episode, the best season yet. So even though we weren't super high on this episode, you know, stick with us because th- it's going to go some places is season three. All right. So uh, let's end it off like we always do. Uh, you know, as in, instead of, uh, you know, going through in detail, let me just quickly say you can find us on social media, facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits at ECL podcast on Twitter, elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. You can email us just like uh, Matt, Josh and Corbon did. Thank you, everybody, to elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. And you can find our entire back catalog one of three ways. You can go to elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com. You can that's L I B S Y N. You can go to the iTunes store, or I should say the Apple Music Store, and uh, go under podcasts. Find us there, and we are also available on the Google Play Store. Let us know if we should be anywhere else on the World Wide Web. I will also make mention that this is the season to go over to soundcloud.com slash Elwood City Limits. And, uh, yeah, get yourself our Arthur's Perfect Christmas commentary. A lot of good feedback for it so far. People really enjoying listening to it. And uh, we were glad to make it. So enjoy it with your uh, holiday, uh, your normal holiday playlist this year. Okay, coming up uh, next time on the show. We continue into season three. Uh, now, sometimes, Lucas, the episode titles can be a little bit of a mystery to you. This one is a mystery to me. Uh, so I don't even know what's coming next. We've got background blues. And now let's talk to some kids. What? What is now? Huh. 
Now let's talk to some kids. So I remember that one, but background blues I have no memory of. So I'm looking very much forward to, uh, well, again, not to, not spoil it, but Arthur getting a little meta in the second half there. And now, and now let's talk to some kids in case you couldn't guess from the, from the episode title. All right, so if we uh, get back to you in this this uh, crazy Yuletide month, then we will be happy to. But if not, we wish you all the best and happy holidays. Merry Christmas or whatever it is you may be celebrating. Lucas, anything else to say? I'm afraid you're going to be in the third grade for a long time, Alan. All right, everybody, we'll catch you next time for Elwood City Limits. That's Lucas Mancini. I'm Will Young. And ho, ho, ho.